So, where did Paul get his gospel, his understanding of the gospel? We talked about that in chapter 1. Direct from... Yeah, direct uh, from, the, from God, right? And not from people. And do you remember we talked about back there in chapter 1 that we'll just think of... And, and I guess we did kind of get... We were all saved the same way, I guess. Maybe I shouldn't even say this. But I'm sure that affected how serious he took it. You know, he didn't just hear it from another guy you know he got it directly from God but so did we if you think about it you know we were spiritually dead Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2 and you know and and then he awakened us and we understood it but um, I'm sure that really affected the way he thought about the gospel receiving it directly from God but why did Paul go back to Jerusalem 14 years after his conversion as verse 2 tells us Right, right. I would imagine there was probably some concern about him. Mm-hmm. Some yeah, sure, certainly. Church leaders at, at that time. Right. That's right. And, and he says, you know, um, to, to be sure he wasn't running in vain, but that's basically what you said, you know. And where did he get the idea to go back? A revelation. There's another one of those, right? I mean, you know, that that's pretty, you know, compelling reason to go, right? Um, today, you know, we're not, there is no new revelation from God other than what we read and study and see in his word. But how might God do something kind of like that, maybe not a direct revelation, but how would God work in that manner in our hearts today? What do you think? Pardon? Illumination. Illumination. All right, what do you mean by that? Okay. And as we're studying the Word and we have an illumination because of that, um, where's that working in us? Pardon? The Holy Spirit working in us. And and in and through, there's a word that starts with a C that I'm thinking of that we would, in our consciences, right? So um, I think we need to pay attention to our consciences but I have to precursor that with if our conscience is being informed by the Word of God, and that's what we're saying, right? So, but it's the same thing, you know. I, I think we need to, perhaps sometimes the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in and through the Word, and we're not paying attention to it because, you know, it's not maybe like Paul was getting these direct revelations. But, yeah, we need to pay attention to our consciences, I think, a lot more. At least I do. Um, so who did he take with him when he goes back after 14 years? Well, no, this is, yeah, Titus. And, and who is Titus? <clears throat> a Greek, a Gentile, right? A new convert. <clears throat> and, what, and who else? Barnabas, right? Who actually uh, uh, introduced Paul to the Jerusalem church back in Acts 9.27. So here they, you know, they're traveling to the mother church in Jerusalem. There's Peter, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, and John still leading and in, in growing what we might call the international church, right, in, in Jerusalem, the epicenter. And, and since Paul's original departure from Jerusalem earlier in Acts uh, 9.26 to 30 and 
in what we studied in Galatians 1, 18 to 24, several very significant things have taken place. And this is where I've really enjoyed uh, going back and seeing the correlation of how things were moving in the early church when we look at Acts along with what's going on here in Galatians. And I think that's, that's what's really slowed my mind down through the study of Galatians is seeing all those kinds of things. So here they are, you know, and, and since his departure in, at the end of verse 24 of chapter 1, and then the famine visit that we have, have determined is this Galatians 2, 1 to 10, several significant events have, have taken place. For instance, Paul had now settled down in Tarsus, his hometown, right? We saw that in Acts 9.30 and 11.25. Peter had received a revelation from God that the gospel of salvation was for the Gentiles also. That was in Acts 10. Peter preached that gospel to the first Gentile convert, the Roman centurion Cornelius. And what was the result of that? Do you remember that? That was in Acts 10. The, you know, what was the result of that? He preached it to Cornelius and what? His whole household, everybody gets saved, you know. I mean, think about the impact of that. The ch- I mean, the church is popping now, you know. And I just imagine how exciting it would be to, uh, you know, to be that guy then, you know. But we can be that guy now too, right? I mean, there are unreached people groups in the world. Maybe the Lord would call one of y'all to go there and uh, you could experience this kind of thing. Or there are a lot of unreached people right here too. But anyway. Peter also initially received resistance from the circumcision party in Jerusalem for accepting uncircumcised Gentiles into the church, but they changed their minds. Isn't that incredible? After hearing Peter's account of his revelation from God, that was in Acts 11, and also Greek-speaking Gentiles in Antioch accepted the gospel when it was preached to them by the Jewish believers who had been scattered because of the persecution of Stephen's death. And then, uh, so a lot happened, right? And then Jer- the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to Antioch uh, to teach and lead the new Greek converts there. That was Acts eleven twenty-two to 24. And then they were overwhelmed with the ever-increasing responsibilities in Antioch. And because of that, Barnabas now goes and gets Paul from Tarsus. And they spent a few years ministering together in Antioch, Acts eleven twenty-five and 26. Then we read... In Acts eleven twenty seven to thirty, the circumstances leading up to Paul's visit in the, this account in Jerusalem, uh, in Galatians two that uh, John just read for us. You know they they send this relief by the elders, which uh, I mean to to the elders by the, the from the elders, uh, they send it with Barnabas and Saul. So then. Paul presents the offering. What did he also do other than just giving the gift, the famine relief? What else did he present to them in Galatians 2.2? 2, 2? What do you think? Pardon? The message, the gospel, right? Isn't that incredible that he goes to the church, brings this gift, but he also never assumes that everybody there is converted. So he brings the gospel as well. You know, I, I think that is a really uh, important point for us as a, as a church. I think it ought to be for any church. We should never 
assume that everybody sitting in the congregation is saved and they don't need to hear the gospel, right? Yes, sir. Why do you think he waited 14 years? Well, yeah. I guess he was just busy doing ministry somewhere else, you know. Chris, you you have any idea of that? To, yeah. Yeah. I think it had to do with the lesson we heard last last week on providence. Oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, I I don't remember if I read, but how old Paul would have been here. I'm not sure. Uh, does anybody have an idea? Yeah. Yeah. Because we reach a point, and some of y'all won't relate to this, but we reach a point where time just goes by like that, doesn't it? You know, especially when you get my age, it just seems like good grief. Yeah, years. Yeah. Hours go by, you know. I mean, wow. So I don't know. Maybe he woke up one morning and said, wow, it's been 14 years. But so. Equipping, yeah. Elijah, yeah. You know, I mean, even Jesus in the forty yeah. years in the wilderness. I mean, yeah. it's just that I think that what you're saying, Randy, you needed to prepare. Yeah, yeah. I think he was fully engaged in ministry. Sure. Yeah, you know, wasn't not doing anything in the necessity of the local church, which is what he went out to establish. That's right, and that's what he's going back here to. Yeah, and that's good. That's right. And so I think it was kind of a meeting of the minds. Yeah. There's no doubt in Paul's mind. He's, yeah, he's had multiple meetings with Christ. He's uh, had a profitable ministry. He's seen the hand of God upon his ministry. So he's not going there to say, Am I, have I got this right? Right, right. I was going to get to that. I'm going to show it's a practical thing, not a, a doctrinal issue at this right. point with him. Yeah. Right. So in this visit, how did how did he meet with the leadership? Privately. You ever think why? You know, and, and you know why? Because we're getting ready to see in the next chapter. It certainly wasn't. Pri- I mean, next section it wasn't uh, private. But I, I think it's it's based on the reports. Um, you know, likely you know he had reports from the prophets and the teachers who'd come from Jerusalem back to Antioch. You know, he would have known that Peter's inclusion of these Gentiles had already caused some controversy, right? Acts 10 and 11 show us that. But you remember the Jerusalem church been, had been coping 
with, Paul wouldn't necessarily experience this in Antioch, I don't think, but they had been coping with this untraditional party of Judaizers, right? And, and they're, they're itching to push this controversy to a whole new level. They, they probably think they're losing some ground, you know, so they're ready to push and, and, and ratchet up the pressure, if you will, right? So I think, you know, he worries of, of having run in vain, in vain, like he says there, but that doesn't stem, as we're talking about, from a fear that Jesus taught him the wrong gospel, somehow right and that's why i say i think this is more of a practical thing than a theological thing so if you think about it you know peter and james the brother of of jesus right and john if they waffled a little bit at all their support for the thriving ministry among the gentiles then the the daughter church you might call it in antioch would would fear that this past and present ministry that we got going on might be rendered uh, to no effect by these Judaizers. So he he needed to be sure that these guys understood the implications of that, right, and the potential controversy that could erupt in a public hearing if they could have had a very disruptive outcome if they had gone public. So here he comes in uh, chapter 2 as Chris went over and, um, Titus uh, is kind of, I think, a good way of looking at him is, you know, he's serving as a test case, right? So to me, the million-dollar question was, or was what would the apostles in Jerusalem do with, with, or would they agree with Paul that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, or would the Jerusalem church leaders require Titus to undergo the normal means of conversion to Judaism, which, of course, we studied, you know, was, was the circumcision. So how do, how do those who were of reputation respond to, to this? I think verse 3 gives us the answer to that. Yeah. They, they say that again? I'm sorry. But um, and what was the result of that, though? He he wasn't forced to be. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be. So Paul then, because of that, zooms in on the opponents who had been trying to to avoid that he had been trying to avoid in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Look at verses four and five. It says, "Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus." so that they might bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Uh, a commentator I read, James Boyce, said this, um, uh, Paul's descriptors of the false brothers constitute a mili- military metaphor used to indicate the subversive and militant nature of the evil that Paul was fighting. So Paul saw himself in the midst of life and death battle, striving to protect the priceless treasure of the gospel, right? And, and these Judaizing spies whose loyalty remained with the old law were merely playing the part of followers of Christ. Now, this is what we would call today guerrilla warfare, right? 
So what is guerrilla warfare? You ever wonder that? A bunch of guerrillas running around? <laughs> what is it? What is guerrilla warfare? Think about these Judaizers. They're in the church. What is it? This, but where does it come from? Pardon? Resistance, opposition, yeah. But, but in guerrilla warfare, this is when somebody is infiltrated and, and this destruction is coming from the inside, right? It's here. It's with us, you know. It, it's, they've infiltrated the ranks of the church in order to destroy the doctrine of grace from the inside out, not from the outside in, right? So if, if you're going to try and destroy grace, how would you go about doing it? You know, if you wanted to come against our church, just say today, how would you do that? You know, would you be out here attacking publicly in the open square, yada, yada, you know, or would you come in, become part of it, and then attack? That's how, that's guerrilla warfare, right? So try, try, uh, you know, you would try and enslave, their mission was to try and enslave believers with a strenuous religious system, including, listen to these things, prerequisites for meriting salvation, rituals to receive salvation, and righteous works to maintain salvation. What's the equivalent of that today that just pops into your mind today, 2024? Can't believe I got it right. 1223? Catholic Church. Man, I read that and I thought about that and I thought, oh my stars. Are the Judaizers of the faith today the Catholic Church? Thought, wow, that's that's. I thought about that for a long time, right? You got to have these prerequisites for salva- meriting salvation, rituals to receive salvation, righteous works to maintain salvation. That is certainly being taught in the Catholic Church, and I'm sure in some evangelical circles as well, wrongly so. But so, if the Judaizers had won a victory at the Christian Command Center, the main church in Jerusalem, right? then the outposts would surely follow, wouldn't they? Um, and suffered those similar attacks. They'd go after them next because they'd have new people in their belief in the Jerusalem church. Well, let's go to Antioch and infiltrate them. And that's why his associates, Paul's associates, refused to yield, For verse 5 tells us, for even a moment. So, I mean, think of the importance of that. The survival of the truth of the gospel itself was at stake and Paul wasn't going to give an inch. That's convicting to me when I think of, you know, if, I, if I'm ever in circles and of people and I think about the truth of the gospel and, and somebody's got some, something going on and they, they try and compromise that, right? From the inside, the guerrilla warfare, they try and com- Would I be as strong as Paul was in that kind of a situation you know that's that's interesting to think about i i've i've seen this play out firsthand in the church in cotahuasi peru firsthand the same thing has happened you know from the inside and the brothers there that are standing for the truth they're not putting up with it for even a moment right now they got to be reminded from time to time to stand strong um because you know it's you know how the mind works with that but these judaizers likely viewed james and peter and john as real apostles and paul as an imposter because they had seen christ 
Paul had not. They ministered primarily to Jews, but Paul, he's bringing these unclean Gentiles into the church, right? So the Judaizers must have expected the hammer to fall on Paul. Surely we got him now, right, with his anything goes gospel. I mean, he can't be speaking the truth. An uncircumcised, uncircumcised Gentile, he brings in here, Titus, there he is, look at him over there, a dirty Gentile, right? But what a surprise, think of this, what a surprise to these guys when the pillars of the church in Jerusalem not only accepted Titus as a brother in Christ, but they accept, accepted him as an equal, right? Not only did the Jerusalem leaders uh, add nothing to Paul's gospel, verse 6 tells us, but they extended the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and Saul. What does that mean? I extend to you my right hand of fellowship. Total acceptance. All right, good. What else could it mean? I, I think, just think of what all that encompasses, right? Total acceptance, right? And what would be the result of that? Total acceptance. Pardon? Friendship? Sure. Unity of purpose of mission. Right? Right doctrine, right practice. Right? Here we go, right? So both of these were confirmed by the Jerusalem apostles, which vindicated Paul's authority as an apostle, as an apostle of the truth of the gospel. Now, that was my overview. That's probably... Hopefully not uh, too far off of what Chris taught that week, six weeks ago or whenever it was. But uh, So now let's look at verses 11 to 14. Somebody read those. All right, so I chased a rabbit for the first part of verse 11 for a long, 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 long time. But when Cephas came to Antioch, okay, where were they when we just left off a second ago in verse 10? They were in Jerusalem, right? Now here in verse 11, where are they? They're in Antioch. So when was this? I mean, if you just look back at your maps, it's not like driving from here to Roswell, right? Uh, what happened? You know, when was this? What happened between that white space between verse 10 and 11? In Galatians 2, 1 through 10, we saw that that's in Acts eleven twenty-seven to 30. They're in Jerusalem. So in 2, 1 through 10, Peter was in Jerusalem when Paul arrives for the famine visit that we looked at. Does Peter's arrest and imprisonment and all that happens in Acts chapter 12 take place in the space between 2, 10, and 11. Remember, Peter gets arrested. Uh, when you read uh, Luke's account of all this in Acts, it, you know, it kind of just jumps you know, right into it, right? So could all of that that happened to Peter have happened between the white space here? And um, 
I called Chris about it and his exact words, well, it could have, right? And I said, yeah, it could have. That's where my mind wants to go. I said something to Pastor Shane about it this morning. And he's like, well, you know, there's lots of controversy on those. And I was like, stop right there. I don't even want to hear the others. <laughs> no. But so there there are. But, you know, we have to study the word for ourselves. And, and B, key point here, you know, and B, ready to change if we learn subsequently that, you know, that... Um, no, it wasn't that way. But I ran the rabbit trail, and um, so you're getting what rabbit I found in the hole. All right? Y'all ever, anybody ever rabbit hunted in here? It's a great sport. Yeah, yeah. With dogs? No. It's it's a lot more fun with dogs. You just stand there and listen to the dogs work, and then they're trained to run the rabbit right by you, you know, and um, you don't have to do anything. You can just... Sit there and drink coffee till the dogs run the rabbit by you. Just be sure you don't shoot your dog. <laughs> no raccoons at night. That's a yeah. Yeah, it's in the tree. Oh, you're okay. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about that kind of rabbit hunt. So, but so anyway, this is the rabbit, right? So, one, listen to what one commentator said about this. He said, when Peter left Jerusalem for another place. Uh, that the, in Acts twelve seventeen, that other place may have been Antioch. That's where I landed. It was outside of Herod's control. Remember, Peter had been in prison because of Herod. And probably the largest Christian center after Jeru- Jerusalem. If so, this may have been the occasion to which Paul refers. But we don't know for how long Peter stayed in Antioch. So we do know Peter's in Antioch. And then in Acts twelve twenty five. Paul and Barnabas returned from Jerusalem, and they're back in Antioch in Acts 13.1. So Peter could have already been there for some considerable amount of time when they get there before this incident takes place. He had to be there long enough at least for the local Christians to observe that this Jerusalem Christian, Peter, had at least no scruples about eating with Gentiles any more than the local Jewish Christians had had. And so think about this. We just left Jerusalem and Paul and Peter were what? They were unified, right? And now they're in Antioch and there is conflict. Now, I'll get to that in a minute. But remember what's happened according to what I'm thinking in Acts chapter 12. We could go read that, but y'all know the context right or should we read it let's read it acts chapter 12 poor old peter he gets uh uh i guess somebody that's a lot but um yes i just read acts 12 1 to 19 So there he is. He's now he's been arrested now. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So I think that's where he left there and went to Antioch. 
All right, now read the next one. I'm sorry. Well, I, I looked at that, and I wasn't convinced that he was talking about Peter being in Caesarea there. Uh, it, I, I, I could be wrong. It says, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, he didn't find him. He examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he, I looked at that as Herod, but could be wrong. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Um, so I guess we could dive into that. To, uh, Does it parallel secular history with what's happening and what influence? Obviously, he had to go somewhere and get out of town. Yeah, he had to get out of town for sure. Secular history driving him in a direction where, so he was led, he was let free. Yeah, yeah. But he had to get out of town. Yeah, yeah. He definitely didn't hang out there. That's right. So it's interesting to parallel, you know, the turmoil in the secular world and persecution of the church and so forth and going where maybe you won't get arrested sure. <laughs> as quickly. Sure. My wife reminded me that when we were in Israel, that uh, when we were in Caesarea, they said that that's where Herod was eaten by monks. Okay. Yeah, so you're probably okay. Still that's, no, you're good. <laughs> I remember you told me that on the phone. I went and looked at it a little bit. Um, not, not to chase another rabbit here, but when the angel struck him on the side. What do you, I mean, that's just weird to me. You know, did he kick him? He's laying down on the ground. Or did he just tap him on the side? Hey, man, wake up. You know, I don't know what struck him on the side means. but um, All right, so think about what's going through Peter's mind as we go through this. He's freaked out, which you know, I think we all would be, right? You know, you're, you were with Paul in Jerusalem. Now you've been arrested. Your buddy's been killed. You could be killed. An angel wakes you up in the middle of the night. You go to the church and nobody believes it's you. They think it's an angel of you uh, or an, your angel or something. You go in, you talk to them. You know, like Quentin said, now it's time to get out of town, right? I mean, they might find me again, right? I mean, how many outlaws have you, I won't say, I almost said, do you know, but how many outlaws have you read about that, you know, that just stay where they were. You know, you hear the things on the radio. Somebody does something in Atlanta and the news report says, well, they're reported to be in New Jersey, you know. I mean, it just happened six hours ago. I don't know how they get to New Jersey that quick. But you know what I mean? So nobody hangs out after they're fleeing from, uh, you know, being released or escaped or um, which I wonder what would happen. Well, we won't go there. Um so think about it. Here they are. They're united in Jerusalem. And uh, then in Antioch, there's conflict. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and we could say in their creed, they're unified. Peter goes to Antioch, and in their conduct, they're divided. So I thought about this. What motivated Paul to report this conflict with Peter to the troubled churches in Galatia? What do you think? It seems like you're telling the story about how the Jewish system um, was still affecting or something that affecting the church. Mm-hmm.
in some area, or it's gonna what's gonna happen if you're not? Yeah, it's gonna infiltrate and take over, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In a, in a, now, as we're going to see in a public way, right? So, um, nobody required Titus to follow the law, right, and, and, and get circumcised and b- to become a Christian that way. And um, remember, back in 2, 1 to 10, Paul described how the leaders had accepted Peter, and Ti- I mean, accepted Titus. And the reason that they didn't, require the following of the law is because it doesn't I shouldn't say doesn't it can't contribute contribute anything to a person's salvation right and not only that but it adds nothing to a person's sanctification and Paul and Peter saw eye to eye on that but the word I think um, in verse uh, 11 the word but is it really has some significance right but when Peter arrived in Antioch, his actions openly contradicted his doctrine. Right? Think about that. His actions openly contradicted his doctrine. Now, what caused Peter to not be in step with the gospel now in Antioch like he was in Jerusalem? I think verses 12 and 14 give us the, defin- the, the answer to that. What do you think? Fear of man. Here we are. We saw that in chapter 1, didn't we? Fear of man. Now, keep in mind now, I don't want to throw, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but we can't throw Peter all the way under the bus with this. But yes, the fear of man is there. People pleasing, if you want to say it that way, right? Peer pressure, we could say it that way. So in response to Peter's display of hypocrisy, we read, Paul opposed him face to face, pointing out his inconsistency, this time not in private, in front of everybody. Now, this word I opposed is a really interesting Greek word. Um, I'll never pronounce it correctly. It's anthestemi, anthestemi, something of that way. But it comes, it's two words, anti, which means what? Against. And then hestemi, which means to cause or to stand. So, literally, to stand against or to set against, to set against, uh, set oneself against something. And in, um, in the, uh, the BDAG lexicon, I guess that's, the, can't remember what the BDAG stands for. It's four guys, last names, initials. Do you remember what it is? There you go. Easier to say BDAG, right? But anyway, it says this, this word gives us a vivid picture of this apostolic confrontation for the verb was used in secular Greek, listen to this, to describe an army in battle array against the enemy, thus depicting a face-to-face confrontation. Now, very interestingly, this verb usually implies, and I think it does in this case, that the initial attack came from the other side. So it was Peter in Paul's mind, who was the aggressor. Isn't that interesting to think about it like that, right? And also, you know, what English word do you think we get from that Greek word? Well, I'm itching. Yeah, an antihistamine, right? That's right, because um, 
this wasn't in BDAG, but uh, it uh, it gives rise to our uh, pharmacy word, right? Because the the antihistamine blocks the effects of a histamine, which cause blood vessels to dilate. But so, what was it that Peter did to get Paul so riled up? What had happened? We we were perfectly fine, brother, when we were in Jerusalem. Now we're here in Antioch and. What has he done? He was people pleasing and he changed restaurants. Changed restaurants. Yeah, he flip flopped, right? Changed, that's a good way of saying it. He was over here eating kosher. Now he's over here eating uh, ham hocks and pig's feet and barbecue and bacon and a bacon cheeseburger with a bun. It was not, uh, what do you call it? It wasn't, it, it was leavened. Yeah, you know, it had milk in it and, and he'd flip flopped, right? And um, and that this caused Paul to be angry, right? And Paul tells the Galatians that when Peter first arrived in the city, the, where the Gentile mission, keep in mind now, it was exploding, right? Peter would enjoy the uninhibited fellowship with the Gentiles around. Actually, we I said that backwards. He was eating in the in the soul food kitchen, and he switched back to the kosher kitchen when these influential supposed guys came flip-flop there right right so that would have been forbidden in the jewish interpretation of the law as we said and and um paul remember peter's vision in acts 10 in the unclean animals and and all and, and that affected him in a big way right it it had convicted him that the law that had been supplanted had been supplanted by the gospel that legalism demolished by grace, right? Demolished. So rather than separating from the Gentile believers, Peter, there he was, right? Eating with them. And, um, you know, probably eating a lot better. Until what? We already said these representatives come, these influ- influential guys from Jerusalem, and here they come. And how, how does Paul in verse 12 describe these visitors yeah yeah certain guys certain disciples from james now james he he'd been in full agreement with paul and barnabas while they were in jerusalem right but he was famous for following the law to a t as a testimony to unbelieving jews right so um but in fact, this was commonplace among Jewish believers in Jerusalem to, to be that way. James is coming. He's following the law. Peter's freaking out, so he's going to flip back over. But this was somewhat customary, I think, to Jews that they lived as Jews for what purpose? We learn in First Corinthians. In order to win the Jews, right? A principle that even Paul later himself advocated. They, they obeyed the law not to be saved, though. That's the big difference. They weren't doing it to be saved or to be sanctified, but simply to adapt to the culture in, w- culture in which they lived in order to keep from putting a stumbling block before the Jews. Now, um, Peter, I think, reacted wrongly to that. I don't think those guys, you know, James, anyway, wouldn't have cared because he would have seen these are already believers here. 
Um, it's kind of like when Chris and Nina moved to Croatia, how successful would your ministry be if you said first Sunday, all right, guys, we're becoming Americans. You know, it doesn't work that way, does it? You don't, you lose the platform to minister the gospel if you try and make them like you. What do we want to make them like? Right? We want to make them like Christ, right? And, um, you know, that's what just drives me insane when I hear people say that you can't have drums in a church, you know? And I don't care whether you like drums or not. I'm just saying, you know, the African culture, you know, the African culture you know, it doesn't revolve around a drum beat, but it's very big in their in their culture. And if you you know, so what? Now we're we got a church planted in Africa, oh you can't have drums. You know, I mean weird, right? You can't change somebody's culture. Now sinful things certainly, but um can you add to that of how Yeah. Yeah, I would think short term, yes, you know, and yes, probably until you have or until their pastor has had the opportunity, perhaps, to teach through that. But um, you know. And I know that when we first started going to Peru, the women there wear skirts. So we would have the ladies, you know, and Brad, or not Brad and Gina, but Gina would wear skirts as well. They've, you know, times have changed now, and uh, some of the Peruvian ladies are wearing slacks. Um, It's easier for them to wear the, I won't tell you why, but the the skirts. Let's just leave it at that. so, yeah, Paul, he reports that Peter drew back. He separated himself um, because he feared the party of the circumcision, right? Now, here's where it got, where I, I think I said earlier, I said it in my mind anyway, that let's don't throw Peter all the way under the bus, right? Because a lot of people have, I think, but normally this is a bold dude, right, in the face of opposition, and um, so for him to be acting, acting hypocritically, you know, um, seems a little odd. But let's retrace the steps that led, right, from Paul's relief visit in Jerusalem, like I said, to that, to where we're at now. He was imprisoned, right? And he saw his friend get his head chopped off. I'd be a bit timid as well, right? I don't know. Maybe I better pay attention here, right? So I think when you begin to understand the pressures that was going on around him, um, that could be why he backed up a little bit. When we just read it, verse 10, right into 11, I think you lose that, you know. But I'd be tentative in rebuilding my boldness as I step forward. I definitely would be looking over my shoulder, right? And when you think about what had taken place there. Um so shortly after these occurrences, we you know they're they're in Antioch as we'd said after the clash with Herod and all that mess. Um, and he didn't want to put stumbling blocks. So this was a cultural matter that that I think related to effective evangelism, effective evangelism because the stumbling blocks weren't being set up right. 
Um, so in Antioch, they're, they're following the law. Following the law, though, would have meant excluding the Gentiles. So we've got to keep that in mind as well. So it would have alienated them and confused them. But, you know, this got so bad that Barnabas even got carried away into the hypocrisy, right? And, you know, hypocrisy means play-acting, pretending, wearing a disguise. So Peter and Barnabas believed one thing, but they did another. What in the world was Paul to do? I mean, what could he do, right? And he didn't hold back for even a second, right? He boldly confronted Peter in the presence of everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. And I am sure... I'm confident of this, that caused Peter discomfort and it caused him embarrassment um, and his companions as well and probably some anger, right? I can't believe he would do this. Uh, but Paul pointed out that not long ago, Peter lived like the Gentiles as we saw in observing their customs and speaking their language and eating their foods. And yet now it looks like that was all a lie, right? But the lie that now in order to live to have Christian fellowship with the Jerusalem visitors, the Gentiles would have to live like Jews. So Paul knew that he had to confront him, right? Um, and Peter's ambiguous behavior was playing right into their hands. And Paul wanted to shock him into seeing that clearly. And that's what he does. He shocks Peter. And uh, then, as we'll see in the weeks ahead how that flows forward as he continues his, um, you know, um, shock to Peter, but here's why I'm shocking you. You know the truth, but you've um, been acting like a hypocrite. Pretty bold. So, yeah. Pretty bold. You know, Peter was not a prideful individual either. Yeah. He probably still had a lot of temper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Both of these men were men. Yeah. Man's man, right? Yeah, yeah. When he comments on closing comments, the mm-hmm. yeah, and that's again, that's that guerrilla warfare thing, you know, that it can come. That's the most effective way for an enemy to attack is from within, you know. The uh, oh, Pogo. Anybody know anything about Pogo? Um, Well, so he had a, a a quote, right? I know the enemy. Can you finish it? It is me, it is me right? Yeah. So, yeah, don't ever think we can't come up. And again, then that that's a, a huge benefit of having accountability and brothers and sisters in our lives, you know, that we can speak truth to one another. Um where should that truth first come from if you're married? What do you think? Focus on the family. No. <laughs> what do you think? From one another, right? You know? Uh, um, I mean, yeah. That's a great point, Kay. The, and, and, you know, and wives can speak truth into their husbands' lives. And all the ladies said, amen, right? Yeah. I'd rather my wife tell me than 
Randy tell me, you know, I mean, think about that. Let's keep it in the house. That's pride too, isn't it? <laughs> you know, so, all right. Well, thanks a lot. We'll see you all next week. Oh, wait, before we go, be praying for our two front rowers over here. They're leaving Tuesday to Africa and uh, they'll barely land and get their feet wet and be back. So uh, those whirlwind trips that far away are are tough. Um, So be praying for them as they go to minister to the bakers and the nindinos. And um, and then for the elders as well as we... uh, We got to find a different word for elders retreat. Um, There's no retreating to it. It, it, Yeah, elders advance, yeah. Yeah, I... uh, I, um, I'm old and these young guys, but anyway, that's a whole nother deal. So p- please be praying for Chris and Nina as they travel and, uh, they're going to go from what, 14 degrees to 70 in a day, you know, take some cold medicine. <laughs> All right. We'll see y'all next week.